I'm Byron Harris, and this is When I Got Here, Untold Immigrant Stories, a podcast from Literacy Achieves. At Literacy Achieves, we provide English literacy programs for immigrant and refugee families in Dallas, Texas. Our students come to us from all over the world. We celebrate them and what they bring to our country. When I Got Here tells the stories of immigrants who've come to the United States, why they left their homelands, and the lives they're making here. If you'd been driving along a boulevard in Dallas in late 2021, you might have spotted Tier Suzuki. Not on a sidewalk or in a car, but on a banner. Her portrait was one of 43 painted by former President George W. Bush in a book called Out of Many, One. The volume celebrates immigrants. The banners announced an exhibit marking the book's release. Tear Suzuki. I'm a student of leadership. I devour leadership books and <laughs> leadership podcasts. I met President Bush um, when I participated in the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program in 2019. We had dinner uh, one night and President Bush joined the dinner and I happened to, I was seated at the table with President Bush along with my fellow scholars. And at that dinner he asked, and he, President Bush is amazing uh, in terms of connecting with people. He's very good at that. And he asked each of us about our story and so we shared our story. And then uh, that evening he had said that he would that he would paint me. How Tear Suzuki ended up as the subject of a presidential portrait is a saga of survival, persistence, and self-discovery. Her story begins in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, her birthplace. The nation was in the midst of a brutal civil war engineered by the communist Khmer Rouge. The Khmer Rouge started gathering the military people and arresting them and then coming to um, each of our homes, pounding on the doors and telling us that we needed to leave our home. But you only have to leave for three days. And then after everything clears up, then, you, then we could come back. And of course that was a lie. And so we were driven out of our homes and just started walking. Tyr was the youngest of five children, just three years old. And I um, learned from my parents that we walked for 15 days until we got to the first destination, which is um, some village that they took us to, um, where we stayed for a period of time. So by a period of time, I mean like about four months or so. And when we're in, the, um, in, in that village, it was, it, they would split up the families and send them into different labor camps, so essentially forced labor camps. The male adult would do a certain type of labor. The females, if they're older, would do a certain type of labor. Young women would do a certain type of labor. Boys, uh, boys and girls would go to the kind of the children camp where they would have different types of labor. The two youngest girls, we were too young to go to these camps and so we actually stayed back with my maternal grandmother in the, in the village. We were in that first place for about four months and then we were some families were put on a train to go they didn't tell us where they were taking us but they put us on the train and then they dropped us off in the middle of the night in like this open field I didn't remember this directly my mom had told me this 
part and they would drop us off and so then people had to figure out where it was they were supposed to go and so they ended up uh, walking like 10 kilometers in order to get to this lake area where all the families ended up going and there were 5,000 families. Within the four months of the 5,000 families, my mom said she heard that about 2,000, 2, 2 or 3,000 families or equivalent of two to 3,000 families died. Because if you can imagine in this lake area, there was nothing there. And so you made your living quarters or whatever with tree branches and you would sleep in the rain and you can imagine the starvation and the disease. Families were left on their own to find food. They wanted to turn the country back to what's called year zero, right? Start all over wow. again. And that there wouldn't be um, currency or money, so they destroyed currency. They destroyed the books. There were no more hospitals. They persecuted and killed the educated. So the teachers, the doctors, the business people, the military police people, right? Because they, they were the enemy. And they wanted everyone to work as farmers with their hands and eat together. And there wouldn't be differentiation. Prior to the Khmer Rouge taking over, my mom and dad, they had a, a small pharmacy depot business. And so they had a lot of, I guess, medicines or medication that they were able to take with them when we had to leave the city. And so they used that to barter for food. And actually, um, my mom in particular is very clever. She took a lot of risks in order to do that because if you get caught, you can get killed immediately. And so she, um, I don't know, used her street smarts because she never went to school. She was a farm girl. <laughs> she never set foot in school. And uh, she was able to use her cleverness to figure out how to build relationships with people, know what they need, what she has that she can offer, and what, and what she was trying to barter for was like rice and chicken, protein stuff, and she would hide it. My dad would say we survived because of my mom's, her resourcefulness. The family survived, but they were separated. We had to leave, and we couldn't wait for my second older brother to come back to the village that we were at to meet us. And so we left, and we went back to Phnom Penh in the hopes that we would get reunited with him. We walked for six months from where we were back to Phnom Penh, six months. And we didn't get reunited with him during that time, but once we got back to Phnom Penh, we did get reunited with him. Amazing that we were able to, to be reunited in Phnom Penh. And then a month later, my mom and dad decided that we needed to leave Cambodia. So then we escaped to the Thailand refugee camps. Uh, for two years, we were in three different refugee camps in Thailand, in Indonesia, and the Philippines, uh, awaiting for sponsorship to come to America, uh, or actually to go to other parts of the world. We didn't know about America. By then, Tyr was six years old. So six years old, and then uh, two years in the refugee camps. So I came to the U.S. when I was eight. When I was younger, as a girl and also as I was going through middle school and high school and even college, I really didn't have the awareness that, or the extent of the, uh, the trauma that, that I had experienced. I didn't have an awareness of that. 
it was, I think our lives uh, have been kind of, okay, we're now here. We have what we have. What do we do now? So it was very much about survival. And there was not a, a lot about reflecting <laughs> on what had just happened. How do we deal? We didn't have the wherewithal to know to do that. But I will tell you that in my adult life, I have reflected and, and have understood that it, it had affected me quite tremendously because I realized that my view of who I was as a person was very negative. Even though in school I was an active student leader in high school, I was an active student leader in college, but the way that I viewed myself in terms of my capabilities and my worth was not great. Uh, I felt like I was lesser than other people. I felt like I wasn't as smart. I felt like I wasn't, that I didn't belong. And I think that growing up in a family and in a community and <laughs> belonging somewhere, like I was, we're displaced people, right? I had acquired throughout that experience many limiting beliefs about who I was as a person and what I am worth and what I was capable of. And so even though I was very action-oriented as a person, I realized that the difficult experiences that I had, I never really dealt with it. I never really talked about it as something that was dramatic. It was just kind of, this was what happened. You just gotta move on until I, I think until I got a little bit older and um, more experienced and becoming more aware of why I feel the way that I did about myself. The family found a home in Dallas, and Tyr was lucky to find mooring points. One of them, her third grade teacher, John Gallagher. With John Gallagher, my third grade teacher, after I, he failed me in third grade, and after I left his class, he and his dad continued to support my family in various ways. Then when I was a senior in high school, he nominated me for a scholarship at SMU. And because of that scholarship nomination, I applied to SMU without knowing anything about SMU. When I started work, and I don't know what got me to think back to my life, I got, I, I got where I am, I got to where I am now because of these key things that happened in my life. And people who came into my life, kind people who came into my life and helped in various ways. And Ron Coward and Melinda, you know, they started the Boy Scouts Exploring Post program to keep Southeast Asian teenagers like myself out of gangs. That was the activities. They helped us to study for our U.S. citizenship exam. So I became a U.S. citizen because of them. I didn't know it back then. We were just doing what we were doing as teenagers. But I realized later as an adult, if I hadn't become a U.S. citizen before I graduated from high school, there are many scholarships that required you to be a U.S. citizen. And so I was able to pay for SMU through the Pell Grant, the SMU scholarships, and then 10 other small scholarships, 1,000 here, 1,500 there, combined all together to afford a $21,000 a year tuition. And I was afford that, um, so I was a commuter student. And so I think as I reflected back, I realized I didn't make it on my own, that there, the, there were these people in my life and in my family's life that helped, helped us to rebuild our lives here.
And then in terms of understanding myself more and my self-worth, I realized that I was, earlier in my career, I was definitely just going with the flow. I was still just surviving. Even though I had graduated from a great university, started my career in consulting with Anderson Consulting. Consulting and leadership became her calling, but not at first. I really felt like I really didn't know what I was doing. And I got lucky and got this job. I always felt like I didn't, I wasn't qualified, I didn't belong, but somehow I got lucky. And I would never expect a promotion or anything like that because I was just happy to have the job. I think I definitely underestimated my value and I underestimated my contributions and therefore I didn't think I was deserving of those promotions or that I wasn't, maybe that I wasn't good enough. Who was I to think that I should be promoted? The feeling that I deserved something was not a feeling that I have. I mean, I, I worked hard, certainly, and I, I think I struggled. I'm a petite Asian woman. On top of that, I'm a refugee. And so the hang-ups that I have about myself and how that was reflected in my behavior in the workplace kind of fed into the stereotypes as well in terms of being not, not assertive, not strong, um, order-taking. I had a mentor and a sponsor who was African-American, and he took a caring to my career and helped me to understand that I had strengths that were valuable to the team and to the company, to not belittle that, you know, and to own that. But I think it was in my mid-40s when I started to understand more about the power that I actually do have and the potential that I actually do have that needed to just be unlocked. After a series of successes at several consulting firms, Tier is now a partner at EY, one of the four largest consulting firms in the world. Having realized her worth, she invests her time and intellect in organizations like the Orchid Giving Circle, which she helped found. The circle directs philanthropy to the North Texas Asian community. I have a vision of a world where everyone feels free and safe to be themselves and to use their gifts and talents to help others. And so I have a passion for increasing both leadership and philanthropic capacity in others. I didn't feel like that I had that capacity before, and I've, in my life's journey, I've come to understand that I have a lot of capacity, you know, to lead, and a lot of capacity to give, and I want other people to see that in themselves as well. So whatever, they're, whatever is important to them, whatever parts of the, the world that needs their talents and their goodness, I want them to, feel the, to have the courage to be able to use what they have in order to help other people improve their lives. You've been listening to When I Got Here, Untold Immigrant Stories, a production of Literacy Achieves, where we provide English literacy programs for immigrant and refugee families in Dallas. To learn more about our mission and these podcasts, visit our website at literacyachieves.org.